Same Soul Productions presents The Rome Dialogue, Episode 3, The Forum, and lots of other shit. Our pacing and recording may not be the same as when you're actually there, so feel free to stop and pause when you need to. We won't be offended. The Forum was the center of life in Rome, so there's going to be a lot going on here in and around the Forum, and it can be kind of confusing. So we're going to start on the east side by the Colosseum with the Arch of Constantine. The Arch of Constantine. Do-do-do-do! Hopefully you remember from our History of Rome episode, if from nothing else, that the Roman Empire was split up when it became too big for one man to handle. Yeah, it was. The only person who was able to at least temporarily reunite it was Emperor Constantine. In 312 AD, Emperor Constantine won the Battle of Molivian Bridge, which will come up again later at the Pantheon. At this point, he had been emperor of the western half of the empire for seven years, and the Senate commissioned this arch to be completed in time for him to celebrate the tenth year of his reign. That gave the architects and artisans a pretty short turnaround time to get this thing done. While they used the same brick-filled concrete lined with marble that we saw at the Colosseum, the exterior art was a little bit more difficult. At this point in Roman history, things had been rough for a while, and good artisans were hard to come by. Yeah, they were. So rather than making all new art, they just recycled art from other buildings. How sustainable. There were two benefits to doing this. First, it was a whole lot faster to snag a statue from some other building than to make a new one. And second, it also borrowed, in addition to borrowing the physical art, it also borrowed the glory of other empires. Monuments to Trajan, Hadrian, and Marcus Aurelius were all looted to construct Constantine's arch. The Arch of Constantine has been the inspiration for a number of other famous landmarks, including the Brandenburg Gate and Arc de Triomphe du Carousel. Not the big one you're thinking of, but the little one across the street from the Louvre. Next up is the Temple of Venus in Rome to the north of here. With the Arch of Constantine behind you and the Colosseum to your right, take the path to the left toward the freestanding columns which mark the temple. The Temple of Venus in Rome. Do-do-do-do! The Temple of Venus in Rome was built in 135 AD. That's 50 years after the Colosseum and almost 200 years before Constantine's arch. It was designed by Emperor Hadrian himself. That's the same Hadrian who built the wall in England to keep out those dirty Scots. There's a story that says that when one of Rome's most famous architects criticized Hadrian's design because the two seated statues inside were too large, Hadrian had him killed. The two giant statues inside were of Venus and Roma Eterna, the personification of the city of Rome, who sat back to back. Venus overlooked the Colosseum, and Roma overlooked the Forum. At their bases were the inscriptions Amor and Roma. Get it? It's a palindrome! It's clever! What a bunch of plebes. The temple stayed intact until the 7th century, when the Pope removed the bronze roofing to use for St. Peter's, and it was all downhill from there. The temple was marble and limestone, and was looted for a millennium, until all we have left is what you see. Next is the Arch of Titus, which is at the top of this pathway at the top of the hill, west of where you are now. So you're now officially on Via Sacra, 
the ancient road that connects the Capitoline Hill in front of you and the Colosseum behind you and the Forum in between. The Arch of Titus. Do-do-do-do! Emperor Titus only ruled for two years, but his brother built the arch in his name, which was completed shortly after his death in 81 AD. The Jews in the crowd will be interested to know that the main story of the relief is Titus's sack of Jerusalem. There's even a menorah pictured on the south side of the interior. After the rebellion was ended, 50,000 Jews were brought to Rome as slaves and supposedly forced to build the Arch of Titus and the Colosseum. The arch was actually included as part of the city walls for a while before it became freestanding sometime in the 1800s. It's also the inspiration for the Arc de Triomphe de l'Etoile. Oh, I'm struggling with that one today. <laughs> this time it's the actual big one that you're going to go on top of and view the beautiful sunset in Paris. If you look up inside the arch, you can see the design that was copied almost exactly for Napoleon's version. From here, you'll head a little north and then down the hill into the Forum. Across the valley to the west is Capitoline Hill, and on your left to the south is Palatine Hill. As you walk into the valley, look to the right and find the three large arches. This is the Hall of Justice called either Basilica of Maxentius or Basilica of Constantine. Maxentius started it in the days of the divided empire, but after he lost his attempted overthrow of Constantine, the building was finished by Constantine. This is where everything from building permits to lawsuits would have been taken care of. The scale of the building is really impressive until you realize those three arches aren't even the full height of the building. There was a matching set across from them and a central nave that was even taller. This format and even name is what most Western churches were based on for most of history. At the end of the hall was a giant seated Constantine with fingers as big as a man. Keep walking down the Forum, down the Via Sacra. If all roads lead to Rome, this is where they end up. Many of the stones you're walking on now are the original stones that made up part of the 50,000 miles of roads in the Roman network. As you continue down the hill, you'll see a building with a green door, which is the original door from when this was the Temple of Romalo. Past this is another building with 10 large columns, which was built by an emperor after his wife died and he declared her to be a goddess. You know, typical. Your next stop will be the temple, temple of Vesta, which is directly across from this 10-column building on the other side of the small grass area. Temple of Vesta. Doo -doo -doo -doo! The remains of the Temple of Vesta are white and slightly higher than the rest of the ruins. It's also a round shape, which is unique. You may remember from the general history episode that this area, the Forum, was originally cleared of its houses back when immigrants first started moving into the city in order to make a public square. The temple itself was built by the second king of Rome and designed to represent one of those rounded huts that the original Romans lived in, making this one of the oldest buildings in Rome. There was a fire inside of the temple like the hearth of any of the old Roman homes, and it was said that as long as the fire burned, the city of Rome would stand. The fire was tended by six virgins, known as the Vestal Virgins. The virgins came from noble families who were chosen before the age of 10 and would serve for 30 years. It was a tough job and they would be punished if anything bad ever happened to Rome. If the virgins ever lost the ability to be called, called that anymore, 
They would be tied to a funeral cart, paraded through the city, and then burned alive. But they also had the power to pardon criminals and had their own box in the Colosseum directly across from the emperor. So, pros and cons, I guess. They even had their own 50-room palace behind the temple. That we should go check out. You know there's no more. Don't, don't ruin this for me. <laughs> go up behind the Temple of Vesta to the rectangular fields with two pools in it. This was the house of the Vestals. It was a two-story building with a large central courtyard lined with statues of famous Vestal virgins. This layout, both architecturally and sexually, would become the same that was used for monasteries and nunneries throughout the Middle Ages. So if you're done being weird, we can move on. I'm not promising anything. Not surprised at all. It's history. I'm going to keep going anyway. Walk back down past the Temple of Vesta and turn left at the ten-column temple slash church. This is the heart of the Forum. Even though rubble is all that's left, this used to be the most busy and elaborate place in all of the Western world. Each of these now ruined buildings used to tower over the street with their white limestone and bronze roofing reflecting the bright sunlight. Painted statues watched over throngs of merchants and money changers, politicians, and priests. Julius Caesar himself once walked over these very stones. Which brings you to our next stop. A stone building with a modern tin roof just northwest of the Temple of Vesta. The Temple of Julius Caesar. Do-do-do-do! It was here that the body of Julius Caesar was burned after his assassination in 44 BC. And it was here that he would have walked when his famous Beware the Ides of March line was delivered, if it was at all. And it was here that Shakespeare's Mark Anthony would have given his friends, Roman countrymen, lend me your ear speech. If you look inside, you should be able to see fresh flowers and a lot of coins. It's been more than 2,000 years, and people still remember the man who, more than any other, shaped Rome and the Roman Empire. Go slightly south and continue west again, away from the Colosseum and toward another triumphal arch and a long stretch of the Via Sacra. As you walk, you can see a large brick building to the right of the arch. This is the Curia Julia, which was constructed in 44 BC by Julius Caesar to replace the old Senate building. It actually wasn't completed yet when he was assassinated, so his heir, Caesar Augustus, finished it. It's usually closed, but like every other building in the city, was converted to a church around a thousand years ago. When you get to the end of the straightaway and reach the T at the base of a temple with only eight columns remaining, you've arrived at the Temple of Saturn. The Temple of Saturn. The Temple of Saturn is the second oldest building in all of Rome. Though it's not much by comparison, when the building was first dedicated in 497 BC, it would have been pretty impressive. It had a large wooden statue of Saturn inside, which was placed on a pedestal that housed the treasury of the young city. Walk up the hill a little to the third and final arch on the Via Sacra, the Arch of Septimius. Septimius? Septimius. Septimius Severus. Like the other two arches, this was a propaganda piece constructed by Emperor Septimius Severus. Who is apparently in no way related to Severus Snape. What a bummer. The arch was built not just in his honor, but also in honor of his two sons who joined him during the campaign. After Emperor Severus died, his two sons briefly co-ruled until one killed the other, and then tried to have all record of him replaced. Pretty classic. 
If you look past the arch toward the Temple of Julius Caesar, you can see a lone Corinthian column known as the Column of Focus. After the western half of the Roman Empire fell apart, portions were briefly reconquered by the eastern half of the empire. By the year 608 AD, eastern emperor Focus had almost lost control of all of these territories again. He set up this column with a gilded statue of himself on top, but two years later he was overthrown and Rome was sacked again and the statue at the top was removed. <laughs> this would have been the last addition to the Roman Forum. By 1800, the entire Forum Valley had been buried under silt and debris. Only the very top of this column was visible to indicate that there had ever been the center of the world at this spot. This is the end of the Forum, but there are three more things to see that are nearby, if you're up for it, that will span three very distinct eras in Roman history. And they're actually nearby, not like that one time someone made us climb all the way up a hill in, Mount in Athens. No, a mountain in Athens. It was totally worth it, and I still hold to that. That's highly debatable. If the exit near the arch is open, take that, and when you come out of that metal structure, walk up the steps to the left that run along the big pink building. When you get to the top, you'll turn left into an open square with a statue of a man on a horse. You should probably pause at this point, because it's a lot of steps, and listening to us talk isn't going to make you feel any better about your life. Assuming you've reached the top and are in the square, you're now at Campidoglio. Capitoline Hill, Campidoglio in Italian, has housed numerous temples since ancient Rome. What you see now was designed by a ninja turtle named Michelangelo. Apparently, he didn't have enough going on in his life, so in 1536, he was hired by the Pope who wanted to impress Charles V the emperor who ruled half of Europe and was the closest Europe ever got to being unified since the Romans, and also the guy who sacked Rome. Apparently the project took forever, and Michelangelo died before it was finished. I'm guessing Charles V wasn't very impressed when he had to scramble up a dirt hill to an unfinished piazza. The statue in the center is of the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius, and Michelangelo did not like it. Apparently he had standards. He was forced to keep it, though, because of the time. Because at the time, they didn't realize it was Marcus Aurelius. Instead, they thought it was Constantine, who wouldn't want the first Christian emperor in the middle of their square after all. If you stand looking at the statue head-on, the building behind it is the Senatorial Palace, which once held the records of ancient Rome and got a facelift in Michelangelo's plan to make it a bit more in the style of the time. The fountains at its base featured the river gods of the Nile and the Tiber with Roma, the incarnation of the city, at the center. On either side of the square were crumbling medieval buildings at weird angles. New buildings were constructed so that the shape of the piazza would be more geometric, and they're both now museums that you don't have time for. The giant stairs behind you were designed by Michelangelo, not just to be ridiculously wide, but also the, to turn the focus of Capitoline Hill from the Forum and its old gods, and instead towards the Vatican and to the one true God. When you're done up there, up here, walk down those long, thick steps towards the bottom of the hill. When you get to the bottom, you'll turn right towards the giant white monstrosity that's absolutely impossible to miss. This is another good time to pause, but before you do, here's one more fun fact that's probably pretty obvious. Capitoline Hill is where the English word capital comes from. 
It's also where Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. got its name, despite the fact that Capitol Hill in Washington isn't actually on a hill. Okay, time to pause. Welcome to the most hated building in Rome, a.k.a. the Victor Emmanuel II Monument. Do-do-do-do! A.k.a. the Altar of the Fatherland. Do-do-do-do! A.k.a. the Wedding Cake. Do-do-do-do! A.k.a. the Typewriter. Do-do-do-do! A.k.a. Other things in Italian that I don't know what they mean, but they're probably not very nice. That's enough AKAs. Let's talk about why it's so hated. The first thing you'll notice is the size. It's huge. That's what she said. <laughs> it feels out of proportion without everything else around it. It was built in 1878 to memorialize King Victor Emmanuel, who had just unified Italy. The architect who designed it wasn't trying to design just a memorial. He wanted to design something that could cement the new Italian identity and flaunt the power of the new government. In the center is a statue of Emmanuel on a horse, and his mustache alone is literally over three feet across. That's a mustache ride. <laughs> Not only does the structure t typify the showiness and pretension of the late 19th century, there's one thing that drives almost everyone crazy. The color. It's too white. Everything else in Rome was built with travertine limestone. Ah, there you go. And, but for whatever reason, this was made out of marble. Instead of being the more muted, earthy tones of the rest of the city, this building stands out for being absolutely gaudy white. Okay, so why was it able to be built at all? Well, apparently, Emmanuel himself was pretty flamboyant, much like this memorial, but he was also loved by the Italian people. He had managed to overrun the French and papal armies to unify Italy for the first time since the Roman Empire. But after being divided for so long, Italy didn't have an identity that was going to be critical in the uber-nationalist mentality of European conflict on the brink of the First World War. This monument was an attempt to rebuild a single Italian identity. So let's talk about why they were trying to communicate in their nationalist propaganda piece. Despite being the wrong color, clearly the goal was to call on the image of ancient Rome. The columns, the statues, the temple-esque layout are all supposed to make the viewer think of the buildings in the forum just behind the memorial. Starting at the bottom, right in the middle, is an image of Dia Roma, the personification of Rome. She's surrounded by ancient people who look like they're submitting to her. A little on the head with that metaphor, but all right, we'll take it. Above that is a giant Emmanuel on a horse. When the statue was first erected, it was a replica of one of Emperor Trajan that was across the street. I can't believe we've gone this whole time without using the word erected. <laughs> We're going to use it a lot. <laughs> it was pretty hard, <laughs> but we lasted a long time. Anyway... Beside the very apparent parallel of the old empire to the new empire, the pedestal the statue is on features 16 figures and togas that represent the 16 nations that became Italy, all under the militarism of the new Italy. There's another famous painting of Dia Roma and an emperor on a horse in Michelangelo's Capitoline Hill that you just saw, but this time Roma is noticeably below the man on horseback. 
But the monument is also distinctly anti-church as well. The pagan temple style and even the name Altar of the Fatherland both stand out in the memorialization of a man who was excommunicated twice for his attempt to unify the country. The monument's place here on Capitoline Hill is also no coincidence either. A former pope's palace was destroyed to make room for the neo-imperialist peace. Even the scale was meant to challenge St. Peter's and the Vatican's domination of the skyline. And of course, we can't forget our good friend Benito Mussolini. When the fascists came to power in Italy before World War II, their values fit perfectly with those on display here. In fact, Mussolini was obsessed with this place and used it for numerous fascist rallies and gave some of his most famous speeches here. In 1921, he did add the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at the feet of Diaruma, which is perhaps the only part of the construction that's received widespread acceptance. There are plenty of other really obvious metaphors, like the fountains on either side of the monument, which represent the seas on either side of Italy, but it's really not all that exciting. Instead, cross the street to the east for the last stop. Look for the domed building with a freestanding column in front of it. The column is where you're going. Trajan's Column. Do-do-do-do! Your last stop will take us all the way back to 113 AD, when Emperor Trajan constructed a new forum with the spoils of his war with the Dacians. I assume everyone knows where the famous Dacia is, but in case not, it's basically Romania. They had to remove almost 40,000 cubic yards of soil and rock to level this area, and in the end, it was 1,000 feet long and 600 feet wide. There's not a lot left here except the main exhibit, the column. The intricate carving depicts scenes from the two wards, wars, but interestingly, there isn't much in the way of actual battles. Instead, there are scenes of sacrifices, preparation, and celebration. Portraying the Roman army as relatively gentle may have been designed to support Trajan's image as a man of justice and restraint. When Trajan died four years later, his ashes were interred at the base of the column. And given that Roman emperors were deified after their death, the scroll showing his glory that rolls up towards his statue at the top would have been a pretty clear statement about his divinity after death. The guy at the top is now not Trajan, it's Saint somebody or other. That's it for the forum and adjacent sites. Sorry there was so much, but this is the heart of an empire that lasted 2,000 years in various forms, so there was a lot going on. Enjoy your time away from us before you hit up our next episode.